welcome to Business Lines Pulse podcast that tunes into all things health and pharmaceuticals. I'm Jyoti Datta. In recent times, we've increasingly heard of drug resistance when, you know, when a medicine ceases to treat or is ineffective in treating an infection. And this could be either because of an overexposure to the medicine or erratic use of the medicine. Antimicrobial resistance or AMR as it is referred to is a global concern and the World Health Organization, the WHO, had sounded an alarm bell years ago saying that um, there could be a day when even the smallest of infections could potentially kill us. So the Access to Medicines Foundation, a nonprofit organization that's headquartered in Netherlands, um, they've recently come out with their uh, benchmark report on AMR. It's their third report, actually where it looks at top pharmaceutical companies, what they do to clean up the manufacturing process of antibiotics, curb its misuse while improving its supplies and so on. And to break down this complex issue that touches all our lives, we have with us today, Jeffrey Iyer, Chief Executive Officer of the Access to Medicines Foundation. Thank you for joining us, Jeffrey. Hi, and thank you for having me here. And a very good morning to you as well. Yeah. Good afternoon. So, you know, you have just come out with the benchmark report this week, but before we come down to that, could you, you know, explain why AMR is such a big concern for governments across the world and has COVID actually made a bad situation worse? So I think we have to appreciate that drug resistance is not a future problem. It is here and now, and people all around the world uh, are facing some of the highest risks from resistant infections. And that actually is being made worse by a lack of access to treatment. COVID has definitely uh, made more people aware of infectious uh, diseases. Um, on one hand, it has, uh, because of the fact of uh, there's been uh, closures and lockdowns, has increased and improved uh, hand washing and sanitation uh, in some places. But at the same time, I think because people cannot get to their doctors in time, they're unable to access uh, the right treatment and the right diagnostics before they get treatment for infectious and other diseases in that sense. So overall, I think, um, I, and in some countries, we're also starting to see that uh, when, when people present with a cough or a cold, uh, flu-like symptoms and COVID, they um, take antibiotics to try to alleviate the symptoms when it cannot actually work. So, and on, in some areas, there's overuse of antibiotics and COVID has definitely made the situation much worse. Right. And, and you know, the peculiar situation that you were pointing out, at uh, one point, there is an overuse of antibiotics. And there are also countries and there are regions that do not get access to antibiotics. And I'm going to bring in a small data point that your report had. So 7.5 lakh people die every year due to the drug-resistant infections. But also true is that 5.7 million people die from treatable infectious diseases due to the lack of access to these medicines. So how did we get to such a situation? We get to such a situation because of multiple reasons. Um, one is overuse of, uh, of antibiotics, irrational use. Um, antibiotics that should be used only as a last resort are being uh, used in, in human health as, as first-line uh, treatments. They're also used in agriculture for animal farming and for um, uh, plants uh, for agriculture um, purposes. 
And at the end of it, you end up having, uh, you drive drug resistance because you are using it inappropriately. And when you use it inappropriately, um, these antibiotics, what happens is bacteria start escaping from um, and start creating, uh, the resistant bacteria start emerging and becoming, start taking over. And the more you have resistant uh, bacteria, the bigger the problem uh, actually becomes because eventually the rise of drug resistant bacteria means that there's going to be less and less uh, effective antibiotics that's going to be there when patients actually present with this issue. So we need to do multiple things. We need to improve the use of uh, antibiotics so that only patients who have uh, very clear symptoms and are diagnosed properly are using this. We need to stop over-the-counter use of antibiotics uh, without a prescription. And we definitely need to conserve and preserve the last resort uh, antibiotics in, uh, so that they can be made uh, effective when other antibiotics fail in that sense. Right, absolutely. So in India, there have been, you know, at least off late, there's been an increasing uh, conversation around this. The government's been working to try and sort of curb uh, the rational use of antibiotics. Your report does indicate that Indian companies do have participated in kind of out, you know, they've outlined plans to you on how they've uh, tried to curb the, the misuse of antibiotics, the promotion, the, um, you know, supplies and all of that. So can you give us some sort of a snapshot on how their performance has been uh, over the last few years? Is it getting sure, sure. So um, as you mentioned earlier, this is our third antimicrobial resistance uh, benchmark. And in here, we've evaluated uh, 17 of the largest pharmaceutical companies and what they do to enable uh, appropriate access and combat resistance in low-income countries uh, such as India, but also in Sub-Saharan Africa and other parts of the world. And we found that companies are making progress across areas such as research and development for new drugs and vaccines. Uh, in reducing antibiotic discharge into wastewater and in improving uh, stewardship so that more people use antibiotics and antifungals also effectively. Um, but we still find uh, that millions still lack access to essential antibiotics and more needs to be done to ensure that patients affected get the right treatment at the right time. In our work, we evaluate uh, four Indian uh, pharmaceutical companies, Aurobindo, Sipla, Sun Pharma, and Alchem. And um, I think there's a number of best practices from the companies overall. So for example, Arabindo uh, reports that all the manufacturing sites are compliant with uh, discharge limits for antibacterial waste that is disposed into the environment. And this way, preventing that um, uh, antibiotics are found in reverse and you know, driving uh, drug resistance uh, higher. Uh, CIPLA is assessing all its suppliers. Uh, so suppliers being uh, other companies that uh, supply ingredients for antibiotics or are contracted to make the final antibiotics and antifungals. And they uh, assess their suppliers to make sure that their antibacterial discharge levels uh, comply with, with different limits. There are currently about eight programs uh, running in India uh, for surveillance. And surveillance is an area where uh, companies um, try to uh, find out where the drug resistance infections are among populations, you know, which hospitals, which uh, regions of different countries um, are actually, um, what kind of uh, bacteria are around and wh where do you see drug resistance to which drugs. So, and this is incredibly useful information because it helps governments um, and uh, doctors to understand, okay, when do we need to 
stock up and purchase the right antibiotics for the right patients in that sense. Two of these programs are national programs, and only CIPLA is supporting the uh, Sentry um, surveillance program um, and uh, uses resistance data on a, a drug called plazomycin in, in that sense. So there's still a lot that can be done from uh, some of the uh, Indian uh, generics in this sense. Um, another issue is on sales practices. So um, when you do sell antibiotics, you must make sure that you're as a company, you're not promoting antibacterial, antifungal medicines um, in a way that, that it makes them um, oversell, overprescribe, and eventually end up with overuse of antibiotics. Arabindo and Cipla are doing quite well here. Arabindo does not promote its antibacterial and antifungal medicines to healthcare practitioners at all. Um, and CIPLA decouples the incentives for sales agents from sales volumes for uh, 99% of the, of the incentives in that sense. So um, it is important to realize that this is, these are all new practices, which are, um, I think, really important to prevent uh, overselling. I think the last point I wanted to make here is that, you know, Arbindo, CIPLA and Sun Pharma are all involved in uh, education. Uh, to make sure that um, healthcare practitioners use antibacterials and antifungals appropriately. And when we evaluated whether there's conflict of interest um, mitigated in all these programs, they all perform quite well. Um, and, and I think in another example in terms of making sure that patients use products really well is uh, an example I have from CIPLA. And they create uh, leaflets for, um, for drugs uh, that contain information about things that need to be considered when taking medicines, uh, for example, to complete the course when symptoms are already improved um, in terms of how to make sure that you take your medications um, uh, properly and not and dispose of it properly. So these are some of the examples that we found, which we are hoping more companies will utilize and there can be partnerships between companies, governments and uh, nonprofits uh, to improve the situation overall. That's really encouraging to know and, and like you point out, it's very important even for people as consumers or patients, whoever is taking the medicine to complete their course and not leave it uh, halfway. So the point you make here about these companies, now these are the companies who have the largest portfolios in antimicrobials and antifungals, correct? That's why they feature in your... Order. Correct, correct. Yeah, we, we look for uh, companies that are large in terms of um, their portfolio and their size of their antibiotic, antifungal and vaccine uh, pipelines and portfolios. And we also make sure that they're relevant for the markets that we're looking at because our work covers over 100 um, countries, uh, which is actually home to 80% of the world's population. So how does, um, how does Big Pharma uh, sort of, you know, fare over here? And your report points out that of the 166 uh, products that you're looked at, only one third really, um, you know, has a good access uh, planning that has happened. So, um, and, and in terms of even new products, the numbers are still small, although Big Pharma continues to be invested in, um, you know, anti, uh, newer antibiotics and newer products. So uh, a little uh, insight there on how Big Pharma, the Big Pharmaceutical companies are they staying invested? Are they uh, getting out? How are they faring? Sure. Um, so I think um, the context is that, you know, about 5.7 million people, um, especially living in low and middle income countries, 
currently die every year from lack of access to antibiotics. So the, 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 the burden of the problem is actually very large in that sense. And so what we did is we tried to evaluate uh, from, the from the products that we've selected that are important, how are the companies improving access and at the same time making sure that the access is appropriate. So it's not uh, usage in the wrong situations in that sense. And I think what was worrying is that, as you mentioned, just a third of them are covered with an access strategy from um, these companies. And, and at the end of it, it's concentrated on a few countries, uh, a few patients benefit at the end of it. You know? So the gaps are very large. Now, the big problem that we see is um, both Big Pharma um, and uh, several of the, 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 the generic companies are all waiting to see how the, the market is going to shape up. So at the moment, antibiotics are um, available at very low prices. And so companies uh, do not see that there's an incentive uh, because there's not a lot of uh, revenue that they can generate and definitely not a lot of profit they can generate from this, uh, from this field. So while some companies are invested in this space, they're only invested in the space because they recognize that they cannot sell their, their cancer medicines and other uh, hospital-based uh, uh, drugs and, uh, and, and uh, products um, unless hospitals are safe and antibiotics are a key component of it. Over the last few years, we've seen several companies leaving uh, the field. Um, uh, I think over 25 companies, uh, large and small, have left antibiotic development for sure. And some have even left uh, produ production of, of, uh, of these particular products. So we're, we're in a very fragile situation. It's an extremely concentrated market with a few uh, large players. Um, I mean, we're happy to see that GlaxoSmithKline and Pfizer have, you know, amidst this COVID-19 pandemic, been able to show uh, progress uh, and, and several companies are, are, are active in this particular space. But any retreat from any one of these companies, whether they are big pharma or big generics, will have such a detrimental effect on, uh, on access. And I think that's the, the urgency of the issue. That's quite worrying, absolutely, yeah. But does it make, um, you know, finally for companies, does it make business sense for them? Are investors pushing them, are, you know, stakeholders pushing them to do the right thing? So um, we have been trying to, to rally together a number of uh, investors to stay uh, on board in investing in um, antibiotic uh, development and access and stay on board in encouraging uh, large uh, players like the large research-based pharmaceutical companies and their generic medicine manufacturers um, in, in staying on this particular market. It's been difficult because at the end of it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's an area where um, investors also recognize that uh, the market is not, um, not the same as what they would get if they were invested in a company that was looking for the next blockbuster product in that sense where profit margins can be higher. Um, but I think, you know, we have a network of over 150 um, uh, investment firms. And yesterday we had a discussion with um, over 300 organizations, including half of them investors, where we were talking about the urgency of the issue. The fact that, you know, as long as uh, we don't invest in um, antibiotics, uh, antifungals, vaccines, and as long as we don't combat AMR, we're going to end up having a major issue uh, as this, this silent pandemic of antimicrobial resistance starts taking over. And if that's, and it's already here in, in that sense, and it's going to already put pressure onto um, products for transplantation, products for cancer, and other parts of the healthcare industry. So you have to do something about it. So we're hoping to see in the next months 
um, a lot more activity where investors step up and, um, and uh, speak with companies about these issues. And we're hoping also to see that politically, governments uh, play their key role in making sure that over-the-counter use, irrational use of antibiotics is stopped and there's a better procurement uh, system to make sure that, um, that the right antibiotics are available uh, for patients. Right, that is a huge, the political support that is required to push all of this. We've seen this with recent climate meetings and uh, you know, COP26. It's been made clearer than ever that you know, the climate crisis is here and companies also need to sort of clean up their manufacturing and all the rest of it. But with antibiotics, there is a problem in terms of, you know, the water discharge and uh, and you did touch on cleaner manufacturing processes. So companies now, are they doing more to have cleaner processes and also get suppliers to follow through on, on similar practices? Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen progress here. I mean, pharmaceutical companies are taking steps to curb the release of antibiotic waste into the environment. Um, I think so far we're seeing that more companies are setting the right limits at their own uh, manufacturing sites and are now um, starting to expand these standards to supplier sites. Um, but at, at the end of it, it's only about 5% of third-party manufacturing sites that are reporting uh, that they're compliant with the limits on antibacterial uh, waste disposal. And um, companies like Shionogi, that's a Japanese company, and GlaxoSmithKline are leading the way in tracking and, and requiring uh, compliance uh, from suppliers. So we definitely need to see more accountability, uh, better reporting, um, and you know, a, a better picture of how are we going to be ensuring that these manufacturing sites are not contributing to uh, the drug resistance problem, but are actually taking steps to prevent this particular problem. Now, it's very similar when you think about it uh, to um, years ago when we had the movement on uh, garment factories. You know, uh, Large manufacturers of clothes would basically say, it's not our problem to worry about how the standards are set in contract uh, manufacturers. But I think now we're living in a society where it is the problem of uh, a manufacturer. It is, it is a collective problem of a manufacturer to make sure that their factories, any factories that, that serves them or they serve, are all compliant with the same um, uh, high standards and are contributing to combating AMR. Right. So you talk to a lot of uh, heads of companies and you've been... I think, in touch with uh, some of the Indian company heads as well. What do they point out? What are their challenges in uh, you know, dealing with something like this? Yes, we've definitely had um, several discussions with uh, heads of companies like Arbindo, uh, Sipla, and recently Sun Pharma. Um, I think all of them recognize that the issue is becoming more urgent. They have seen right in the, at the doorstep the, the issues that infectious diseases can play in their families, in their staff, uh, to their uh, businesses in that sense. So there's definitely a, a wider recognition of the, of the issue, very different than, than years ago when we started the, the first benchmark, when many um, uh, leadership teams were saying, what, what is this issue? Can we not just keep our business uh, in the same way? And um, we're already um, offering low cost products. So what can we do more in that sense? Today, there's definitely much more recognition. Um, there's a lot of interest in understanding what they can do more. Um, at the same time, I think some of their struggles are um, in making sure that the drugs that they are manufacturing are being used uh, externally 
um, in an appropriate way, because if they sell into a, um, a hospital system, um, then the drugs, uh, the, the, the medicines are uh, utilized uh, only for patients at the discretion of, of the doctors. But if they sell into a, a system where it goes into pharmacists uh, and pharmacies that are all around the country, then they cannot necessarily control over-the-counter use. So I, I think they struggle with that. Uh, they're trying to find a system that can improve it. And this is where governments, uh, beyond campaigns, but more uh, regulation uh, can definitely help the situation. And I think they also struggle to understand, okay, this is a market where um, the volumes is what's been driving the, the business. So if you don't have the volumes, what will you do? So there's been many discussions so far, you know, internationally at the G7, at the G20, about the need for a subscription-based model um, where governments pay for access to, um, to a, an arsenal of um, antibiotics and antifungals rather than pay by volume. And in that way, incentivize uh, a stable supply of, uh, of antibiotics. So far, that is only being piloted in the UK and um, in, in Sweden, uh, in the US, there is a new bill that is uh, being discussed on uh, whether um, antibiotics can be um, sold in a, in, a, in a different way so that um, uh, hospitals are purchasing at the level of uh, access rather than at the level of, of volume. But this is not widespread in many countries around the world. And if this, is, if this kind of a model is in place in terms of procurement behavior and use behavior, then I think we'll make a big step in, um, in improving uh, access and combating drug resistance. And companies struggle with this because on one hand, they don't have the right incentives to do this uh, in, in the right way. So a lot of times we rely on leadership teams recognizing that this is a major issue and uh, doing the best that they can there. And all of this conversation we are still having in the context of antibiotics used uh, in humans. We've not even looked at the agrarian practices or, uh, you know, farm animals and veterinary practices. Or do you think that the largest part of the problem is contributed by the uh, human use and overuse of uh, antibiotics? I think that the problem is multifold, um, where you've got uh, use in, in, in animals, in agriculture and uh, in humans. And it needs to be then tackled in a multifold way. I mean, one of the things we've done is we've partnered with an initiative called the FAIR Initiative to try to make sure that there's a sort of a one health approach on how um, some of the roles that the companies need to play and what can governments do to, to make sure that human health and uh, animal health is, uh, is secured uh, long term in that sense. Um, but I do think that that's the other issue, right? When it is multifold, Many people feel helpless and are then, then don't necessarily uh, feel the urge to actually solve the problem. And it's easy to just basically point fingers to say the issue is more coming from agriculture or the issue is more coming from, from health in that sense. So without that collective action, without that collaboration, this will, issue will, will never get solved. And in the meantime, we see deaths due to lack of access and we see unnecessary death due to drug-resistant infections. Absolutely, yes. So finally, coming back to access, what do you think governments need to do? You did say that, you, you know, the inequities we've seen with COVID treatments should not sort of be repeated with antibiotics. So what do you think governments and companies need to do to address this, a more planned approach to access? Yeah. 
So companies definitely can take many actions to improve access. And a lot of this has to be done in partnerships, right? So um, the first thing companies can do is to make sure that um, whatever they're developing, so if they're uh, developing a, a new replacement um, a medicine, uh, antibiotic or antifungal, or a new uh, vaccine against these drug-resistant uh, pathogens, they need to make sure that they're planning ahead for access so that when they launch these products into the market, uh, they are made available in a fair way uh, in low-income countries that suffer the high burden of disease and the high rates of drug resistance itself. Otherwise, we have, as you mentioned, the unacceptable inequity in global access that we've seen in COVID vaccines repeated when it comes to defending communities against uh, superbugs. Companies that have products on the market, especially some of the new products that are on patent still, uh, but also older products where there are gaps in access, can register their medicines and vaccines for sale uh, widely and rapidly in countries that have a high burden of disease and uh, rising rates of resistance. Uh, they can address affordability and availability, help to build up technical skills and knowledge for local manufacturing, and strengthen supply chains to prevent these major shortages that we've seen for, for even basic antibiotics. You know, governments, I think, really need to look at how products are being used. So, um, uh, you know, going beyond just campaigns to educate uh, the public, but really looking at prescription uh, behavior and stopping irrational use and unnecessary use of antibiotics um, by pharmacists, uh, by doctors, and eventually the, by the general public. Um, and um, governments definitely need to look at, at how they procure antibiotics because uh, otherwise in a few years from now, there will be nothing uh, available to combat the, the, the drug resistant infections that they're facing. And I think uh, governments like governments in India and in several other countries which have some of the highest rates of drug resistance need to take quite a large rapid steps in working with the companies in trying to figure out how can we make sure that new replacement antibiotics are made available, but secured so that they are uh, not um, uh, freely available in the market in such a way that drug resistance emerges within a few years. Absolutely, a very critical sort of discussion that you know, you've kept uh, the spotlight on for many years now. And obviously we're going to be coming back to this conversation time and again. Thank you for your time, Jayashree, from the Business Line team and myself. Thank you so much for those really valuable insights. Well, thank you, Jyoti, for inviting me and a pleasure is mine. Thank you.